Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. For more than 100 episodes, we've hosted this podcast to highlight the inspiring work of Arizonans working to create healthier communities. We've spoken with experts focused on a wide range of issues, ranging from food systems to housing to transportation, as well as local leaders among Arizona's Latino, Black, tribal, and rural communities. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. Today, we're taking a moment to look inward, to pull back the curtain, and to better understand the motivations, milestones, and mechanics of Vitalist Health Foundation. This is a conversation with President and CEO, Suzanne Feaster. If you've ever been curious about what makes Vitalist, Vitalist, or what the future of community health may hold, this is the episode for you. We hope you enjoy. So we are thrilled to be here today with the president and CEO of Vitalist Health Foundation, Ms. Suzanne Feaster. Suzanne, how are you today? Very good. Thanks right. for having me on the podcast. My oh, first experience on a Vitalist podcast. First experience on Vitalist podcast. Mm -hmm. It seems fitting that after like two plus years of this, we let the audience know who <laughs> Suzanne Feaster, president and CEO of this foundation is. Let's start off with just a general question that we ask everyone. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to be the lead for this foundation. Well, Marcus, I'm a fourth generation Arizonan. We like to say in my family, we were the Wild West. My relatives came out. The first one was a territorial marshal in Apache County, and then they were ranchers. And I had one relative who was a doctor in the mines in Jerome, and another one that ranched in Crown King, and then they ended up in Prescott. And so I have a family home up in Prescott that has been in my family for over 70 years. And throughout those successive generations, there was this clear sense of community service and really an expectation that the family would give more, serve more, and that my father, my great uncle, lots of my relatives were involved in nonprofits and served on the Arizona Department of Transportation Board. So there's just been this reoccurring theme throughout my family's heritage here in Arizona of mm. community service. So that is really the ethos in so many ways of who I am. And so what drove you eventually to be at Vitalist Health Foundation? I know you have a long history of working with other health entities, also in PR and marketing. But tell the audience a little bit about like what has been your trajectory to get to where you are now professionally. When I was a consultant, and I was a public relations, public affairs consultant for about 12 or 13 years in the Valley, had clients all over the state, my predecessor, Roger Hughes, hired me to do the first outreach of a report called Coming of Age, which was in the early 2000s, about how can Arizona be prepared for an aging population. So it really was a publication ahead of its time. And I set up for then St. Luke's Health Initiative, the first statewide outreach of the report. Mm -hmm. And from that, when I stopped being a consultant and went to St. Joe's Hospital and Medical Center, Roger said, oh, this is great. I can put you on the board. I'll get you for free. I won't have to pay for your services anymore. <laughs> so I was on the board of SLHI for about seven or eight years. And then when the CEO position came open, I applied and have been the CEO for about nine years now. So you didn't come into this with brand new eyes, I suppose. I knew the organization really, really well. I had worked with the staff. I was very close to the board members. So I had a really good grounding in the evolution of the organization. 
And so you mentioned your familial history, this dedication to the state of Arizona, and then there's this health foundation, traditionally health as in health care, but we now recognize health as being so much broader than just health care. So help me make the connection between a family history of ranchers and farmers and doctors and Jerome and all these other amazing positions that ultimately made you say, yes, this is the spot for me. Because I imagine you had other options of where you could go or stay in a certain industry. Mm -hmm. Why this? Really, it has been such a wonderful journey, I think, and to watch the journey that was St. Luke's Charitable Trust to St. Luke's Health Initiatives to now Vitalist. And I remember the legend, if you will, every organization kind of has legends. And one of the very first grants was to fund vans for St. Joseph's Hospital. And one of the board members said, oh my gosh, we can't, that's our competitor. We can't possibly give money. And they said, we're no longer St. Luke's Hospital, we're a foundation. And so the foundation really started doing very traditional health care. But it saw it move, and that coming-of-age report was kind of symptomatic of that, looking at there are other externalities, other social conditions that affect health. And if you really want to make healthy communities and build healthy people, you need to look beyond the traditional healthcare system. So I think the organization, and I helped shepherd that when I served on the board, Another legend was the first time we wanted to give a grant to Native Seed Search. And one of the board members said, well, what do seeds have to do with health? Seeds as in plant, seeds, plant seeds. as in plant seeds. And so we talked about the importance of indigenous agriculture and farming. So that was going on even 12, 15 years ago in what was then St. Luke's Health Initiative. Mm. So I've been a part of helping to shape that broader notion. My background originally was in environmental issues, so I was looking at the health of the environment and environmental management. So it ties in that there's a communication need, but that health in that broadly defined. And I did my stint in healthcare. I had a wonderful career at Dignity Health, but the opportunity to really do more and to look at it from a more holistic picture was very intriguing. And I think we, as an organization, have really led the charge in Arizona to think about health more broadly. So that's one thing that I wanted to dive into, that piece about thinking about health more broadly. You use the phrase leading the charge. So when you think back to various eras in, we'll just call it community health for shorthand, you could equate that to health care or public health or population health, whatever phrase you want to use. What era do you think we are in right now? How would you describe the era in community health? What sort of trends are going on? What sort of milestones are you seeing big picture that make you say, this is a moment that we're in, this is kind of an era for community health? Well, let me back up just a tad. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation had come up nationally with a culture of health. At the same time, we at Vitalist were talking about how we might do that. And our frustration was the housing people weren't talking to the healthcare people who weren't talking to the food people. We were working in all of those sectors in one way or another. And we said, we have to create some kind of way, some kind of mechanism to bring them all together and to create the notion that the interdisciplinary nature was important. 
And that was in 2017 when we launched the Year of Healthy Communities and we launched our infamous wheel. And people joke, we're the wheel people. <laughs> but we were trying to use that icon really to have that conversation about how important. And it really was what the CDC, what the World Health Organization all has been talking about for over a decade. But we led that conversation in Arizona. And when we launched the wheel in 2017, we did over 100 presentations all over the state, just trying to normalize that idea. And then we shifted our grants program to fit that. So I would say between that whole World Health Organization, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, our work, and then the pandemic, it just laid bare. There's a great line I use often from a health affairs publication that a patient said, if you really want to help me with my blood pressure, help me with my utility bill. Mm -hmm. Because if it's 90 degrees inside my house, you can throw all the meds at me you want and my blood pressure's not going down. And I've said that in front of doctors and they've just been flummoxed. You know, I, I've never thought of that. So I think we're in an evolutionary period where that whole notion of health is more than healthcare and that housing and adequate even transportation and racial equity and social justice all play into the quality of life from a health, moving from health care to healthy communities. And when we launched the Year of Healthy Communities in 2017 and created the wheel, the elements of healthy community with 14 elements, including resiliency yeah, and equity, equity in the center, it was an effort to bring people together to think about this shifting of the paradigm, mm -hmm. to communicate a new and evolving definition of what health actually is. So in addition to the communication and the messaging, what sort of trends or milestones have you seen that continues to evolve this conversation from just conversation to actual action? I think we've had some phenomenal examples of the grants when we've done systems change grants. And again, our board supported us to change from doing individual grants to individual organizations to say, if we really want to affect change and create healthy communities, you can't do it with individual organizations. It has to be a coalition, and it has to be an authentic coalition. We, as you know, have talked about AstroTurf, uh, sort of fake connections versus deep, authentic connections. And so we have said that's what we want to fund. And there have been several examples. One of the very first systems change or innovation grants we funded was to the International Rescue Committee, mm. who brings in refugees from around the world and helps them resettle in Arizona. And they said, we have lots of immigrant-owned corner markets. We have immigrants and refugees that are now growing culturally competent and culturally specific vegetables. We need a place. We need to somehow connect to them. Right. And so we paid for the thought of creating refrigerated kiosks in these corner stores. The first project didn't work very well, but IRC learned an enormous amount that then led them to a quarter of a million dollar uh, USDA grant, and they started building these concepts throughout IRCs around the country. So from our little $125,000 grant, it fundamentally changed the economic development of IRC as an organization in the United States. 
And we have several other examples. Feeding Matters mm. uh, had the audacity to say we need to change the whole healthcare system to have what's called a DRG code, a special code for failure to thrive for babies who are having trouble. And there was always this vague failure to thrive, but not a diagnosis that could be handled. Feeding Matters has done that. We helped them put that coalition together and kind of come up with the advocacy plan. One of our trustees has said, we punch above our weight class. Yeah. And I think that's true. We're scrappy, we're open to new ideas, and we are responsive to what the community is saying it needs help with. Do you see this, and I recognize this as a leading question because we work together every <laughs> single day, <clears throat> but you, do you see this sort of work and these investments as always existing in the space of grants and charity? Or are there other ways that you see where the sustainability and the financing of these sorts of ideas is evolving as well? One of the things I love hearing that people say about us is that we are a neutral advocate. And it's an oxymoron. How, how can you be a neutral advocate? But we create a space and spaces where people with differing views can come together and imagine different outcomes. How we got involved in community paramedicine, which you've had podcasts before, was the uh, Arizona Department of Health manager called me and said, I'm trying to bring together the fire departments to talk about what they're doing and they won't come, they won't respond because we regulate them. And they're afraid if they tell me something, I might change the regulations. He said, if you invite them and work with some of the fire departments, they'll come and then, and you can feed them uh, because you have money to do that and state dollars can't be used. And that's how we got into the community paramedicine mm -hmm. business was we filled a role and now uh, through the, we had two grants related to community paramedicine, large grants. We have shifted, helped shift nationally what is treat and refer. So our little project of bringing people together. And so that inspires me all the time when I see these kernels of great ideas that just need help. And so we do a lot more than grants. Every one of the directors and really the entire staff is welcoming and open and out meeting people. I do a lot of that. I have, because of my checkered past in lots of different <laughs> organizations, I have a lot of contacts with state and local leaders and some national, and that can be helpful to us. I do want to touch on that aspect of having a really talented and dedicated staff as well, along with the, the eras that we may be in right now. Within the last, I'll say, five to 10 years, equity and health equity has become a theme of almost any meeting that we go into. Mm -hmm. When you reflect on kind of this era of health equity, if we can call it that, how have you processed that? What sorts of things have you thought about to bring to our team, to the community, in order to truly embed it into the work of Vitalist? When I was nine, I was trying to make myself liked. I was changing, I changed schools and I was having trouble making, fitting in. And I drew a picture of a girl who was probably Anglo, but people were making fun of her. They were bullying her. Mm -hmm. There were three or four of us girls that got in trouble for doing this. 
and we were supposed to write a page out of the dictionary. And instead, my dad made me look up the words prejudice and bigotry. And it forever changed my life because I understood how it felt both to be bullied and seeing what she went through. And I went through a similar bullying situation when I was in seventh grade. But it made me understand more fully than anything else could ever have done how important it was to look for equality. And my family was very involved. My dad was extremely involved in the fight for the Martin Luther King holiday in Arizona. So again, that legacy and that feeling of responsibility goes very deep within me. And so we have been able to live that, I think, at Vitalist. We have lots of diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. We have a very diverse staff. We have an incredibly diverse board and diverse in all the ways I want to see that. I think of it as being a quilt and it ties together. And to me, what we have built is extraordinary because it is so diverse in thought process, in pattern. We now, because of our talented team, we've launched a Spanish wheel with a fully integrated bilingual team. We've been working with the tribal communities to launch a tribal wheel. It's really their wheel. We just opened the space. The Intertribal Council brought 17 of the 22 tribes in Arizona together to co-create that. So to me, that is the most important things we could have done. Speaking of things that we have built at Vitalist, a few years ago, we built what, to my knowledge, is the first strategic plan for Vitalist Health Foundation. Absolutely. (laughs) We had some trustees and some staff that said, we can go anywhere. What's the Alice in Wonderland? You can go anywhere if you don't know where you're going, or (laughs) I butchered that. We had a good constructive conversation about what are the values We worked on five goals that we came out. And when I started, my predecessor had 15 priorities. And I said, that's crazy. So we (laughs) narrowed it down to four priorities, which then became four and then five goals. Mm -hmm. And the board, again, we've had such a, a good, solid, diverse working board. Some of them have been great mentors. And because I served on the board, I knew how the board thought, and I feel lucky that I've been able to help nurture. I mean, we have board members in some cases that were on 18 years. We have a term limit now for 12, and we have people who will have served, easily served 12 years. So what an extraordinary legacy for us to participate and have that kind of community service and that community ethos for doing what we feel we need to do. And the ability to kind of evolve. When you have board members on for 18, 12 years now, it requires an ability to evolve and adapt over time. Mm -hmm. And so granted, a lot of the board members did not operate under any sort of strategic plan, and then we created one. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit, and we kind of stepped back and said, well, let's look at our strategic (laughs) plan. And if we think that everything in this pre-pandemic plan is going to apply still, you know, maybe we need to adjust things a little bit. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about that process and how Vitalist has kind of 
gone through this, what we're calling this refresh. You know, the tug, when you have 12 elements, we had trustees legitimately say to us, so are you going to fund everything? Mm. Does that give you no bumpers? And we said, what I have said is we fund in the core. We fund the interdisciplinary nature of the work. And so we're not just looking at housing or healthcare or transportation, but really the intersectionality of them. And how do we bring schools, for example, who are now looking, it, it's not just about, although it, we need to pay our teachers more, it's looking beyond if, if a child is hungry or has unstable housing, the best teacher in the world is not going to be able to fully satisfy that child's need to fill their tank and their mind to learn what they need to learn. You have to step out of the walls and almost all the schools we've been working with have said, we have counselors, we have case managers. And so the pandemic, again, really laid that bare. Kids were getting the majority of their healthy meals at school. And when the pandemic hit and people were not able to get fed at school, there were real problems in addition to the learning. So our board stepped up. We said we'd like to allocate another million. It was a 20% increase in our programmatic budget. And so we did that. We kept policy and systems change part of that, but we also gave out health equity grants. The board has continued, and even staff has continued to say we need to create as more focus. And so the refresh was really taking the five goals down to three. The goals really talk about what we do to get where we need to go. Mm -hmm. And that is collaborating networks, strong community partners, and informed decision makers. And so all of you can go on our website, vitalisthealth.org, and see what that means. And then we have priorities like food systems and housing, healthcare integration. But all of those, are, again, are interdisciplinary in how we are viewing them. We worked with a consultant to kind of think through what does this strategic refresh look like? And I remember she asked us, what are the critical barriers standing in the way of you achieving your mission? And they asked that of staff and they asked that of community members, right? We also mm -hmm. went out to the community. Yeah. And the things that came back were actually common between staff, community members, and I think even at one of our board, board retreats members. too. And it was that, Nonprofits often don't have the resources they need to be able to achieve their highest potential, that the political environment and decision makers often aren't well informed enough or just don't have the will in order to do what is needed in order to create community health, and that people just don't talk to each other <laughs> as much as they should. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we get applications yeah. often, even for system change grants, where there's a requirement that collaboration is an element of it. It's this is our organization, and we're the only ones on this, and we are going to succeed in creating this policy or system change. We talk about doing to instead of doing with. Yeah. And so it just, it, it really resonates with me that these three new goals, which are our end goals now, mm -hmm. creating informed decision makers, having stronger community partners, and then making sure that we have collaborative networks, is something that hopefully resonates with more than just vitalists. Mm -hmm. And we saw that in our community meetings as well. Absolutely. And again, our community members and how it's fairly unusual, I would say it's very unusual to ask community members have to have a foundation, hmm. ask community members to participate in their strategic plan. That's normally a board role. But again, we operate 
differently. And we wanted that feedback and we wanted that. And then we came back out and said, we heard you and here's what we've done to address that. So, and there are many communities. It's, this is a very heterogeneous uh, state and very, very diverse. Yep. And even communities where people think it is more homogeneous, we know, in fact, that's not the case. So you have to be sensitive to which communities, making sure as many voices as possible are heard and that we take the best of what we can, flawed and imperfect as we are, but still doing the best we can to serve the most number of people. So for those of our audience who are hearing this about Vitalist strategic roadmap refresh, this refresh strategic plan, and they're thinking, okay, so let me get this straight. So three new goals, you have four priorities, healthcare integration, civic health, healthy food systems, and then housing as health, basically. Mm -hmm. So is that all the Vitalist is going to do? You're narrowing your focus to these four specific priority areas and then everybody else, good luck? At the bottom of each one, there is a box that says additional opportunities that may arise. So we are trying to create some focus, but we're also trying to be responsive to the needs of the community. So we've been approached at different times for different things, and we look at if we can't help you, maybe another venue or another foundation or another business alliance or something like that is available. So we can be kind of the portal, if you will, for some of these ideas, and then we help shepherd them. If we can't do it, we help shepherd them. I would say we're also unusual to have a very strong relationship with the business community. We're not seeking funds. We're blessed to have an endowment. But we think it's important if we want to inform decision makers that the business community needs to be involved and understand. And they have become champions of our work in many cases. Speaking of the work, let's talk about some of the recent work or projects of the foundation. We mentioned the four new priorities and additional opportunities. So when you reflect on our recent work or even this new strategic plan refresh, what are some of the projects that keep you going that you're really excited to see come to fruition or that may already kind of be coming to fruition? I'm so pleased at what Pinnacle Prevention has done with working with 10 food coalitions around the state to develop a state action plan. Hmm. We started with kind of one coalition and then we found there were other food coalitions and we called it the Coalition of Coalitions. And uh, they're now working together, working on best practices. There are tribal food coalitions. So again, with that equity lens, that really embeds the access to healthy foods, but with an indigenous sensibility and how important that is to the health care and the health of the tribal communities in Arizona. The housing in schools, we were talking about housing is such a critical issue and land is a huge problem. Yeah. And we said, what if we merged the idea of schools having extra land and building housing. And so we've got in partnership with the Halley Foundation, we are working with seven or eight different school districts. And one of the things we've been good at, again, sort of punching above our weight class, is we partner with 
We've probably partnered with a dozen foundations over the last seven years to fund different projects. And sometimes they've put in a small amount, we've put in the majority, but you would never know that. Our names are there equal. I believe it's amazing what you can get done when you don't need the credit. Mm -hmm. And so we've worked really well with foundations all over the state to look at that. And we are looking at sort of the cost of collaboration and how some of that can lead to savings. Mm -hmm. We just finished a publication called Cost Containment Through Collaboration, which talks about the partnerships between the Arizona Department of Housing and the Arizona Healthcare Cost Containment our Medicaid system access, how well they've been working together and how that has saved literally $5,000 per member per month because it has provided those wraparound services in addition to the medical care and behavioral health. So you're saying that all of this work, food, health care, wraparound services, housing, that there's actually a financial benefit to this too? It's, it's not just... <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> yes, there needs to be. And all good projects, we have in America an inefficient health care system. We spend more than any developed country, and the Commonwealth Fund does a review of this every year, a national foundation. And yet we do not have outcomes as good as some of our maternal outcomes, for example, are worse than Cuba's. And everybody likes to point that Cuba's a developing country because we don't put the focus on prevention and those social determinants of health. I think we're getting there. And I think the business community is understanding that as well as our elected officials. And watching the talented government officials work together, sometimes with a little cajoling from us and providing avenues for them to partner and collaborate, it's been magical. I want to ask a future casting question. 10 years from now, when we look back on this period, what will we remember and how will we reflect on it? I think that this was an inflection point hmm. and we had to make a shift. The pandemic again laid bare some of the disparities and we knew that if we were as a society going to succeed and if Arizona is going to thrive, it has to thrive for everyone. And with our demographics changing, and someday I will need caregiving, and I wanna make sure I have a talented workforce to take care of me. <laughs> and I wanna make sure that everybody else does too and has access to healthy food. So the fact that we have kind of led the charge in Arizona about thinking in an interdisciplinary way, I hope that gets hardwired in, and we've seen examples of that. I want it hardwired so that every person in Arizona, regardless of their income status or race or who they want to be with in life, gets treated fairly and has adequate access to resources that let them thrive. Magic wand. Maybe you've already alluded to this. Magic wand question. You've talked about the need for recognizing that health is more than health care, the the recognition that a lot of these issues actually exist at the intersection of what we see as individual siloed issues. If you had a magic wand in order to help improve community health within the blink of an eye, what would you use it for? I would want the next governor, because we are going to have a new governor, and the new legislature 
because we've got a lot of changes at the state legislature, that they understand how important it is for state government agencies to work together, to work collaboratively with the business community, and to invest in public health and those social conditions in order to, if they really want economic growth and they want good tax revenues, you need a healthy population. You need all kids that can read by third grade. You need affordable housing. We've got so many that you've got new companies coming in now saying, even my more senior leadership, they don't have a place to live. So if we want that vibrant community, we need to address those issues. And I would hope there's been great promising activities done on the state government level, but we need leadership. Yeah. And so my magic wand would be whoever the new governor is and the state legislature, they understand that that investment will reap dividends. Personal questions. Outside of work, when you're not leading a health foundation, who is Suzanne Feaster? Where are we going to find you? <laughs> I am a landscape photographer by avocation. <laughs> I have traveled all over the world to take good pictures. So I would probably be in some forest or the back roads of somewhere. I'm going to Kenya this year. I'm going to Canada this year. I've truly been blessed to be able to travel literally all over the world. And the pandemic slowed that down. But I believe more of those trips and photographs are in my future. Which means more photographs on our walls of the offices of Vitalist too. <laughs> yes. Seems like every, every trip that she goes on, she comes back with these amazing photos on canvas. <laughs> so we have a rotating artwork. It's a little gallery inside of the Vitalist offices. Mm -hmm. Last call, Suzanne. Any other issues or take-home points that you really want to emphasize for our audience so that when they walk away from this episode and this podcast, that at least one thing sticks with them. I would just say, if you think you have a kernel of a good idea, let us know, reach out. Because we've had some very innovative things emerge from a very, what I would call kismet, that it was an interesting conversation. Somebody called and said, I need, help thinking this through. Can you be my thought partner? And we've been able to achieve together some amazing work because people had innovative and creative ideas that we were able to, through our coalitions and our support for nonprofits, able to achieve. One of the things that Suzanne is known for in the offices, and I'm sure with any of your colleagues too, is you often think about and refer to some of the amazing quotes that your father has. Do you have any of those quotes that you want to share with the audience right now? So my dad was the CEO of Salt River Project for 15 years. He worked there for about 25 years. And then he successfully flunked retirement. And he <laughs> worked for one of the governors. He worked for the mayor, oftentimes for no money. He was just the elder in the room and was working literally until the day he died. And he and I were extremely close, but people referred to him as having feasterisms. And so there is one, I think it's really from Peter Drucker, that says, what gets measured gets done, that he used a lot. It is, imagine what you can do if you don't need the credit. I think about him every day and just feel blessed. When he died, we had a large memorial service, and we asked people 
if they felt they had been mentored by him, and probably 400 people raised their hands. Mm. So for being, you know, a kind of a regular guy, he was really impactful in the community. Feasterisms. <laughs> You'll hear him in the community, folks. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Suzanne said it best. If we as a society are going to succeed and Arizona is going to thrive, it has to thrive for everyone. This is the basis for Vitalist continuing to hold equity as an organizational value, a key ingredient for change, and a core element that's embedded throughout our updated strategic plan. As Suzanne shared, it's an ethos that runs deep, all the way from her childhood classroom to our foundation's boardroom. If you'd like to learn more, be sure to check out the show notes which feature links to the materials mentioned during our conversation. And if you think you've got a kernel of a good idea to improve community health, our doors are always open. As always, thanks to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations and producer Rob Trigg at Star Worldwide Networks for production and sound design. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.